If you've been a diligent saver over the course of your career, then one of the best things you can do to increase the value of your portfolio is implement the right tax strategy. Now, while this seems simple enough, there's no one-size-fits-all tax strategy, so this can create a lot of confusion. What we're going to do on today's podcast is walk through a specific example to show when and how certain tax strategies should be implemented. This is another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canol, and I'm here to teach you how to get the most out of life with your money. And now, on to the episode. In today's episode, we're going to go through a bit of a case study, taking a look at someone's actual situation to see should a particular tax strategy be used, and if so, or if not, what's the reason behind that? So today's episode is based upon a question, and this question comes from Odalis. And Odalis says this, she says, hi, James, I'm loving your podcasts. They're just geeky enough for me. I'm an MD, I'm 62 years old, and I've negotiated a salary of $150,000 per year in exchange for more time off. I will work until I'm 65 when I can get onto Medicare, and I have estimated expenses of $100,000 per year, which is generous enough for two to three big trips a year. Here's a breakdown of my assets. I have $650,000 in a brokerage account. I have $500,000 in fixed annuities. I have $650,000 in a traditional IRA and $400,000 in a Roth IRA. My social security income will be $40,000 per year when I collect at age 67, and I anticipate occasionally doing some temp work for the stimulation and travel more than the money. Here's my question. During the years that I have a lower salary, so 2023 to 2025, should I, number one, still contribute to a Roth 403B or Roth 401k? Number two, should I instead or also do Roth conversions? Or number three, am I overreacting to my IRA balance and will it not actually be an issue when my RMDs, my required minimum distributions, are due? Many thanks and keep the great topics coming. Thanks for not talking down to us. Fondly, Odalis. Well, Odalis, thank you for that question. I really actually enjoy going through listener questions because so much content that you'll see out there, my own included, is here's benefits of Roth conversions, or here's why you shouldn't do Roth conversions, or here's things to be mindful of when you do Roth conversions. There's not a whole lot of what you might call case study to see how would you actually apply this strategy to a specific person's specific situation. Taking a big step back real quick, as I always do whenever we go through case studies, none of this is meant to be advice or recommendations or any type of specific feedback. This is for illustrative and educational purposes only. You should always talk to your own financial advisor, your own CPA, but what we are going to do is provide a bit of a framework to see how should you even think about what options exist when it comes to doing Roth conversions. And I think Odalis' situation is actually a great place to start with this, so I'm excited to jump into the episode. Before we do, like I always like to do, I want to highlight the review of the week. This review comes from username rdaniel123, who gives the podcast five stars, has great podcast. There's tremendous content delivered perfectly, my favorite financial podcast, and I listen to several, always loaded with actionable information. Well, rdaniel123, thank you very much for that. That is my goal is to get 20, 30 minutes of jam-packed information so I'm glad it's helpful. And if you are listening and this is helpful for you, please make sure to leave a review. Please make sure to tell a friend about it or a family member about it or someone who you know could benefit would really appreciate you getting this podcast into their uh, rotation when it comes to what they're listening to on their way to work or on their walk or whatever it might be for you. So now let's go back to Odalis's question. And as we're looking at this of, should she do a Roth conversion? Should she do a Roth contribution? Should she not even be concerned about a particular Roth strategy? 
I want to go back and remind you, why do we do Roth conversions? And there's two core things I want to focus on. Number one is you do them because your tax bracket now will be lower than your tax bracket in the future. So we know that we're going to pay taxes on money in our pre-tax retirement accounts. The question is, should we do it now or should we do that later? And what that comes down to, of course, is when are you going to pay the least amount of taxes? So that's number one. Number two, though, ties into that. Number two, or the second part of that question is, are required distributions projected to force you into a higher tax bracket in the future, not necessarily because you want to take that money out of your IRA, but because you're going to be forced to do so? So I recognize that these two questions are one and the same, but what question number one misses, if you're just looking at, is my tax bracket lower now or in the future, you might be tempted to say, oh, well, you know what? I'm probably spending more money now, and in the future, I won't be traveling as much, or maybe my mortgage is paid off, or I won't be doing as much family support, or whatever it is. So you might fall into the trap of thinking, oh, because lifestyle is going to drop in the future, my income will drop in the future. And for a good amount of people, that's absolutely the case. But number two, the second part of this question, when we look at what will the impact of required minimum distributions be, the reason we look at that is because even if you expect for your lifestyle to drop a bit in the future, required distributions might force you to increase your income, aka increase your tax liability in the future. So with those two questions in mind, I want to apply this to Odalis' situation so we can start to understand are Roth conversions something she should be thinking about? So let's go back to what Odalis said about her situation. She said that she thinks she needs $100,000 of income to support everything that she wants to do in retirement. Now, on top of that, she also said that her income right now for the next three years is $150,000. If we're looking at this and saying, when should a Roth conversion be done, or even should a Roth conversion be done, we ideally, we not ideally, we almost certainly want to be doing those Roth conversions when your income is lower. And I shouldn't just say income, because hypothetically, you could have income that's 100% tax-free. You know, if all of your income was from municipal bonds, or if all of your income was from, say, a non-taxable pension, it doesn't matter so much what your income is, it matters what portion of that income is taxable. Well, today, she's earning $150,000, and because that's a salary, unless she's putting part of that into a pre-tax 401k or pre-tax retirement account, the entirety of it is going to be taxable. Well, let's compare that to the future. Now, I have no idea where tax brackets are going to be in the future, 10 years, 20 years down the road. But what I do know is I do know what Odalis wants to live on. And that number is $100,000 per year. So what you might be tempted to do is say, okay, well, she's earning $150,000 today. So that probably puts her in a higher tax bracket in the future when she only wants to live on $100,000 per year. And you're part right. I would take it one step further, though. Just because she's living on $100,000 per year in the future does not mean her taxable income is $100,000. So what you want to focus on is actually the taxable income. And technically, taxable income is your adjusted gross income minus any deductions. So I'm using these terms a bit loosely, but the general point I think is going to get across as I talk about it. If her taxable income today is $150,000, Granted, actually, it's her adjusted gross income that's 150000 Her taxable income will be that minus any deductions. But anyways, 150000 is what you would start with versus in the future, even if she's living on 100000 per year, that probably is not all going to be taxed. So for example, Social Security. She mentioned she's going to have a Social Security benefit, as most people will. Only a maximum of 85% of your Social Security benefit 
is included in your adjusted gross income. What does that mean? It means part of your social security benefit is going to be completely tax-free. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only. So if 100000 is what she's living on and any part of that is social security, right off the bat, I know that her taxable income or the amount of her income that's taxed is less than 100000 Now, she also mentioned she has a fixed annuity. She has a brokerage account. She has a Roth account. She has pre-tax accounts. So those are all different types of accounts in terms of how they're going to be taxed. And what I do know is, for example, if she's living on brokerage account money that's already been taxed, well, that amount that's been taxed already, so not including any dividends, interest, or capital gains, that comes back tax-free. She's already paid taxes on that. The point that I'm trying to make is even if in the future her income is $100,000 per year, the amount of that that's subject to taxes is going to be less than $100,000 maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy to 75000 just as an example, depending on how her withdrawal strategy works out to be. So if I go back to Dallas's question, and she says, should I be doing Roth conversions now? Should I be doing something else? Well, I would look at that as, okay, well, if your income today, you're paying taxes on $150,000 of income, minus, of course, any deductions, but we know in the future, your taxable income is going to be even lower. Now, the second layer to that thinking is obviously if that's the only thing you're looking at, it's obvious that she's going to be in a lower tax bracket when her income is lower than when her income's at 150000 What you do have to take into account here is her income today is 150000 so it's higher, but tax brackets are also lower. We know that current tax brackets are going to sunset unless anything changes in a couple few years. So you have to take a look at, well, what's your total tax today with higher income and lower tax brackets versus your tax in the future with lower income but higher tax brackets? And you can start to get into the weeds with that. And at some point, you just can't predict what taxes are going to be 10, 20 plus years into the future. But this is a place where I would start. And even looking at those two numbers, yes, tax brackets are going to be higher in a few years, but the actual tax owed, if we use these simple numbers as a simple example, would be lower once Odalis is done working than it is today. Again, there's lots of information that I don't actually know about Odalis's situation, so don't take this as a recommendation or as even as definite fact, but just looking at the information we know, my first inclination is I don't know if doing a Roth conversion today is most appropriate when you consider the fact that income will drop after she stops working, and that may be a better time or a more opportune time to look at Roth conversions if it's even needed. But how do we know if it's even going to be needed? Well, that goes back to part two of what we looked at, the general framework of what are the reasons you do a Roth conversion. One is if your income is lower now than it's going to be in the future. And two is your required minimum distribution going to force you into a higher tax bracket than you'll be in today. Well, let's take a very basic look at that. The question is, will RMDs, required minimum distributions, force Odalis into a higher tax bracket in the future, into a higher tax bracket than she wants to be in or really needs to be in based upon her desired spending? Well, what we know is this. She has $2.2 million in her portfolio today, but only part of this is pre-tax. 650000 of that $2.2 million is in pre-tax accounts today. 
Well, let's assume that she doesn't do any conversions. She doesn't live on that pre-tax IRA at all. It just grows at 7% per year. So just using an arbitrary growth rate for the next 13 years until she reaches her RMD age. So she's 62 today. Based upon that, her RMD would be at age 75, which means she has 13 years until she's going to be forced to do anything with that money. Well, if you grow $650,000 at 7% per year for 13 years, that $650,000 will turn into about $1.56 million. So if Odalis did not touch her IRA for the next 13 years because she lived on a combination of salary, social security, brokerage account withdrawals, other account withdrawals, whatever it might be, what that means is she's going to have a balance of $1.56 million which means the required distribution when she turns 75 will be somewhere in the neighborhood of $60,000 per year. And that's where it starts, and it will go up from there. So every year older you get, your required distribution goes up because the percentage that you have to take from your account goes up. So assuming your account value is staying stable or growing, each year you can expect for your required distribution to be higher. So here's why that matters. We know Odalis wants to spend $100,000 per year. Well, we also know that 40000 of that is going to come from Social Security, which means the remaining $60,000 in the future, because today she has income from work, but in the future, the remaining $60,000 needs to come from her portfolio. Well, what did we just calculate? We calculated that Odalis's first required distribution when she turns 75 will be right about at that $60,000 mark. So between Social Security and that 60000 she is taking what she wants to take or needs to take from her portfolio to support her living expense needs. So when you look at that, or when I look at that, that's very much gray area. And by the way, quick aside, I did not factor in inflation to that $100,000 per year. If I was doing this as a true analysis, $100,000 per year is what she wants to live on today. 13 years from now, $100,000 is probably not going to cut it. We'd have to do an inflation adjustment to say her actual living expenses would be much higher. Now, Social Security would have gotten a cost of living adjustment as well. But just quick aside, I know that this calculation isn't truly precise, but it's the framework. It's the way of thinking about it that I want to be able to illustrate here. So going back to what I was saying, when I look at that, that's kind of gray area to me. What do I mean by gray area? Well, if I were to run this analysis and I knew that Odalis needed 60000 per year from her portfolio, but her required distribution was, let's use an extreme example, uh, $400,000, well, that tells me her RMD is absolutely going to be a disruptor for her. She's going to be forced to take far more out of her pre-tax accounts than she was intending to. So there's probably a very compelling case to say, let's focus on a Roth conversion strategy to mitigate some of that. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum. If Odalis wanted to spend $60,000 per year from her account and her required distribution was only ten grand, to me, I look at that and say that's probably a non-issue. Yes, there's a required distribution, but it's far less than Odalis was planning to spend anyways, so I don't see that as much of an issue. Well, in this example, her required distribution is almost precisely what her estimated need was from her portfolio, and that number will be growing over time the older that she gets. So it's gray area to the extent that you'd absolutely want to run the analysis, but I couldn't say for certain without looking at the whole plan, is a Roth conversion absolutely necessary or is it something you're better off without? It's something that you want to make sure that you have a plan in place for because you're right in between there in terms of looking at what the best tax strategy would be for you. 
So to go back to Adalis' original question of should I do Roth conversions or am I overthinking and being overly concerned about my IRA balance, here's how I would think about it. Number one, I would absolutely run the analysis. So just a preliminary look at this tells me there's something here, there's some potential here that warrants the need for a deeper dive to see what's the right tax strategy for you. Uh, second thing I'd look at is I'm initially inclined to believe that Roth conversion strategy probably wouldn't be the most effective for the next couple, three years while income's at 150000 per year. Again, not advice and absolutely run your own strategy. But my initial thoughts are is if this does turn out to be the right plan for you, the right strategy for you, probably begins after that income goes away and you're fully living on social security and portfolio assets. Third thing that I would look at is if you're spending part of your IRA before age 75, so even if you're not converting it, but if you're spending it, that lessens the impact of required distributions in the future. Well, why does it do that? Well, your required distribution is a function of how large your portfolio is and how old you are. Now, you can't stop yourself from getting older, but what you can do is you can control the balance of your IRA. One way is by converting it, so that gets assets out of your pre-tax accounts and into Roth accounts. But another way of managing it is by spending it. So maybe part of your spending plan, and again, this is done in the context, or this should be looked at in the context of a big picture financial plan, but the more you're spending from your IRA before age 75, the less the impact of those required distributions will be. Not saying that's the best strategy, just to spend that money to keep the balance down, but it should be explored. You should really be looking at dozens of things to see how do we make the most of this, and that's one thing I might look at. And then for last thing, I would just say right off the top of my head is, is there any giving involved? You know, you look at wanting to spend $100,000 per year. If charitable giving is any part of that, and for some people it is, some people it isn't, but if it is, well, then qualified charitable distributions could be an excellent way to reduce the impact of future required minimum distributions. For example, what if a pretty significant portion of that is giving? What if Odalis said, I want to give 15% of what I'm spending to charity each year? Well, that's $15,000 per year. If she's giving $15,000 per year to charity, it's probably most effective to give that directly from her IRA. You can't start doing this until age 70 and a half, but you could do a qualified charitable distribution, gift funds directly from the IRA to the charity, and what that does is it offsets the amount that has to be taken out for required distribution. So if your RMD is 60000 and you want to give 15000 well, give 15000 from your IRA directly to the charity, and it's the remaining 45000 that you're now having to take out of your account. But 25% of the RMD in that example was eliminated just by giving more effectively and understanding how you're able to use certain assets for certain things. But in general, the greater the amount that you want to gift to charity, the lesser the impact of required distributions and the less you're probably going to want to convert, not saying don't convert, but the lesser amount you'll need to convert to stay within certain thresholds of portfolio balance relative to what RMDs will be. So those are my initial thoughts. Odalis, I appreciate this question because I think that it's a great example of being in that middle ground, that gray area. Uh, it's not an absolute yes, you need to do Roth conversions. It's not an absolutely no, you shouldn't even consider it. It's somewhere in between. And this is where that concept of a big picture plan, something that looks at your income needs and your income withdrawal strategy to do that most tax efficiently comes into play. 
It's where your portfolio allocation comes into play. How should you be invested for different withdrawal strategies, for different tax impact? Uh, It's where your actual tax strategy comes into play. Should you do Roth conversions? Should you do donor advised funds? Should you do qualified charitable distributions? Should you do things like tax loss harvesting or tax gain harvesting? How would do different income sources, whether it's your annuity or Roth or pre-tax account or brokerage account or social security, they're all taxed differently. So how do you combine those together? That's the tax component of it. And then even looking at a state strategy or your insurance needs. So all of these things need to be looked at because you don't look at them in a vacuum you look at them in a comprehensive, holistic way. And when you understand the impact of one aspect of your strategy on every other aspect of your strategy, then you can start to understand what makes most sense for you. So I hope that was helpful in terms of how you should be looking at things like this. Odalis, again, thank you for your question. And for those of you listening, I hope that was helpful. Even though these aren't your specific numbers, I hope that way of thinking is helpful. So if it is, and if you've been enjoying this again, please make sure to leave a review for the podcast and also make sure to check us out on YouTube under channel name Root Financial, because that is it for today, but I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you want to see how Root Financial can help you implement the techniques I discussed in this podcast, then go to rootfinancialpartners.com and click start here, where you can schedule a call with one of our advisors. We work with clients all over the country, and we'd love the opportunity to speak with you about your goals and how we might be able to help. And please remember, nothing we discuss in this podcast is intended to serve as advice. You should always consult a financial, legal, or tax professional who's familiar with your unique circumstances before making any financial decisions. 